The cannabis industry can be very scary and exciting at the same time, but you're not alone. Join the community and understand all the different influential people and ancillary providers who can help you scale and grow your audience and your business. I'm your host, Kamin Tharath. Let's dive into the Cannabis Business Development Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I have a special guest with us here today, Dr. Ben Kaplan, who is the Chief Medical Officer for Seed Clinic. And what's really exciting about today's guest is that he is known in the medical community for the rigorous application of standardized scientific tools to the nascent field of the cannabis and medicine. He has served as principal investor for multiple pharmaceutical research studies and has published in leading medical journals, including the New England Journal of Medicine. His clinical research continues as he monitors the therapeutic benefits of medical cannabis for a world that is more hungry for legitimate leadership and professionalism in cannabis. So welcome, Dr. Kaplan. Thank you very much, Tom. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's a privilege. I think the chance to be able to talk to people and put a real face, a real story behind the evolution of medical cannabis is a privilege. You know, not a lot of doctors out there kind of know much about cannabis. And it seems like we're in a weird place in the culture where people, the general public knows more about what cannabis is doing than the leadership. And that's partly why we are in this predicament where cannabis is legal despite all of the adverse odds, but it's a privilege to be sort of rising into a place where I can help my colleagues learn about cannabis and certainly help the public. So I'm honored to be here. Tell us, how did you get started in this industry? I think some people want to get into it. Some people are scared into it. So walk us through that whole growth and that, that journey. Sure. So there are actually two aspects of the industry, two industries that I'm involved in. One is the medical side of things and the other is the business side of things. And I'm trying to play both ethically and do what I can to support both, but they're kind of different. On the medical side, I'm a regular primary care doctor. I'm a board certified family medicine physician. I was practicing in the suburbs of Boston for a couple of years and just kept hearing from my patients that cannabis was helping them. You know, for one woman, it was helping her headaches. For another guy, it was helping the back pain that he had after some injury. And for a bunch of people, it was helping with their difficulty sleeping or their anxiety, the sort of stress of daily life. And I was sitting across the desk and I'm supposed to be the expert in the room, the, the wise old doctor. Yet here I am across the table, not knowing kind of how to help these people. Like, how do I guide them? How do I understand what they're telling me? Is it true? Is it better than the medicines I would give them? And that was a really uncomfortable place for me to be in, you know, professionally, but also kind of personally. But fortunately, the training of physicians is about learning and continued learning that what I learn out of schooling is not the end, it's the beginning. You know, we learn the tools to be able to continue investigating, continue broadening our scope of understanding. And I did just that. I went to the literature that's published about cannabis. I went to some physicians that had been doing cannabis across the United States. I just sort of reached out to see what I could learn. And I was blown away. The information about cannabis, of course, we all hear that, oh, there's no research in cannabis. Nobody knows anything. It's just a hokey thing. And it's total baloney. There's so much research in cannabis. There's actually 10 times more published articles about cannabinoids and the components of cannabis, 10 times more research than the common cold or than Lyme disease. I mean, it's such a massive mountain of research that's there, but nobody's reading it. You know, the physicians out there who have sort of sworn to do well by their patients and by themselves are totally overwhelmed with the illnesses and the patients that we're seeing. You know, there aren't really enough practitioners. There aren't enough providers to fill all of the needs 
out there as it is even without cannabis. But cannabis as a whole field of medicine is just really in need of extra knowledge, extra reading. So I was happy to find that and, and fill that, that need on the medical side. On the business side, you know, I see a cannabis industry that really is missing some professionalism. There are a lot of people who have grown up growing their own, figuring out how they could sell it, you know, figuring out how to cultivate the, the best cannabis they could find and make products that tasted good or felt good, but they haven't really worn their heels, so to speak, in the real business world. And I love teaching them. I love kind of helping people understand how they can reach medical patients. I love helping people understand how to understand what's happening because of their edibles or their tinctures, what's happening to, to someone from a therapeutic perspective. So for me, it's both an opportunity to teach and to learn. I mean, I'm sort of a pick and slop. I really love both of those. But Dr. Kaplan, there's so much information out there, like you said. So when you started or even someone else who's looking to get started, how do you decipher the noise from what is good content and actual factual content? What resources, what sites should people be looking at, especially from a medical standpoint or they're interested, hey, I, I do want to try something different. I'm having this tremendous pain and there's bad information is good information. So where does someone start? So people should know that information, I mean, it's maybe pretty obvious, but information is ranked. You know, there is really high level quality information and there's really crappy quality information and there's a spectrum between those extremes. The premier quality information is sort of scientifically justified. You know, when we are not looking at the outcomes, when we're not looking at the different variables that might be studied, how do we see what kind of is better among features of a study? A randomized controlled trial, for example, pits two investigative choices against one another and is looking for what outcomes happen. You know, is one product better than another? Is cannabis product better than a traditional medicine? And the rigor involved in building that study is time-tested, has been medically overseen. The scientific community sort of has approved this from a broad range of different specialties. It is the highest quality of evidence. It's a little bit highbrow. It's a little bit above the education and sort of understanding of most of the general public, but not everybody. And for the people for whom it's interesting and digestible, that's the place to look. You know, and, and there are resources now, for example, PubMed is the National Institutes of Health database for whatever is published. You can sort of look up a title of a, a paper. You can look up a subject. You can read at the highest level of evidence. For most people, that's not going to cut it. That's just boring or putting them to sleep or just, you know, more than they can understand. So the next sort of set of evidence is to look at people's translation of that primary literature. And that might be news sources um, that are trustworthy and demonstrating where they're coming to those conclusions, but it also might be professional experts. And there are experts in the medical field and the scientific field that can guide people with things to understand. You know, people look to famous doctors because they are famous, so they must be famous because people like them or people trust them, or this is so people think. Some of those people have been bought out by companies and they're not actually as trustworthy. The story is not quite as clear. It's not just about the evidence. It's not just about the expert. It's also looking with a critical eye to say, is this expert really who they say they are? Are they also selling creams on a commercial? Are they also making money and living kind of the, the ritzy life that makes me doubt that their interests are really pure? So we have to be critical about the source of information. But these days, especially when there's so much information out there, it gets to be a little bit of a hurricane of different opinions and different thoughts. One of the issues is that people don't look outside of their own silo enough. 
I think it's important for people to read what interests them and what sounds good, but also to read things that are different than what they might think so that we, we can all have a dialogue as a human culture. It is. And I think people just have to do the due diligence, just like how we do any type of research now for any other topics that we're looking at. But reaching out again to your medical professional, someone like yourself, to just validate the information you have. Because, I mean, again, this is something you are putting into your body. You want to make sure you really, really are doing that due diligence. One of the things that I tried to do was because I saw this problem, like, okay, there's some literature that's way too fancy, way too hard to understand. There's also people that we don't really trust because they're kind of gilding their own pockets. I actually created a library, a Google Drive. So it's as simple as can be. I'm literally downloading these papers. I'm purchasing these papers and putting them onto a Google Drive that is free for anybody who wants to read and search at any point. You literally can look up cannabis and headache, cannabis and cancer, cannabis and sex, and you'll find whatever published papers I happen to download. I'm, I'm furiously doing it monthly and adding hundreds and hundreds of papers that the database itself is close to 100 gigabytes which is massive. So if anybody's interested in looking for a place to, to find digestible literature, the Seed Archive is the place to do that. So is that living on your site? It is, yeah. If anybody goes to my website, which is cedclinic.com slash live, L-I-B, it takes you right to the directions and pops you right into that archive. It's all free. It's all easy. I'm trying to make things simple. And kudos to you for doing that. That's amazing. I actually do the same thing when it comes to marketing and I, I have my favorite vetted information and I'll share it with my team and I'll share it with my colleagues. It's like, here's something with substance that you're going to have some value. So that's awesome. And we'll have this in the show notes too. So for folks who are listening, you can click on there and they'll redirect. So thank you for doing that and taking the time to do that, Dr. Kaplan. Oh, okay. yeah, I appreciate it. It is timely. And that's one of the things actually, you know, we were talking before about what it takes to build a business or to build a sort of presence. And I think it's just time and effort. You have to really care about something. You have to want to help. And the rest is easy. I mean, it's just logical. Everybody should be reading. We should all be talking about cannabis. We should all be understanding it. It's this cornerstone of science and the human body that we've just been ignoring. And if we all want to talk about it, we all want to learn about it. We need to have a common language. We have to argue and disagree and agree about what's out there. In this industry, again, it's still new. People learning more about it. What is it that you love about this industry? Oh boy, the community is really exceptional. I mean, it sounds hokey to say, but you know, my God, people in cannabis have been hiding in the shadows. They've been arrested. They've been punished for doing what they thought was helping themselves or having fun. And they have survived by reaching out to one another, connecting with fellow community members. And it's shocking actually to see how nice people are, how interested in your story they are. It's almost as if all of the, the world's warm and fuzzy people kind of got together and they just get it, you know, that life is more than just fighting. Life is more than just what the pharmacy kind of industry is, is telling us. It's more than, you know, being upset with your doctor about hopelessness or illness. It's really about how can I feel better? How can I enjoy life? How can I be with myself in a content way? And it's a remarkable group of people. The community is really special. And on the flip side of that, you know, mm -hmm. what is it about this industry, Dr. Kaplan, that it's just frustrating, right? Or that is the least favorite thing? for you. There are a lot of frustrating things about the cannabis industry. I think in parts, the lack of professionalism that we were talking about before is really upsetting. You know, I think it's not the cannabis industry's fault that it has been politically handicapped, shall we say, beaten down uh, for no good reason. One of the frustrating things is that most of the people in the industry are inexperienced with a normal professional life. It's the same frustration. It's a mirrored frustration 
of how people see the cannabis medicine field. Well, it's not like other medicines. You can't give me a specific dose. You can't prescribe a certain medicine. And that's partly because it hasn't been studied the same way. It's not held to the same standards of Western medicine because it couldn't be. We couldn't research things. We couldn't give it in hospitals. We couldn't learn from patients that were taking it. So similarly, the industry, the product producers, the folks who are growing, folks who are packaging, all of these people don't have a lot of experience in the sort of rest of American business. So there's a lot of mistakes. There's a lot of interesting problems. On the flip side, there's also a lot of creative solutions and there's a lot of interesting novelty innovation that's coming. So it's not all bad, this lack of professionalism, but it does create a weird island that the cannabis industry is sort of floating on, which is different and disconnected from the rest of mainstream business. Kind of in that same topic, Dr. Kaplan, what do you feel is a common myth about your profession or field that you want to debunk? Because I think there's just a lot of false information out there. Right. I mean, there are a ton of myths about cannabis. I think, you know, the, to talk about debunking the myths of cannabis would take us a couple of days worth of discussion. But basically the idea that people only want to be high or they only want to be stoned or they don't want to feel reality is just silly and it's just mean. Most of the people who are consuming cannabis are totally normal, average Jane and Joe. These are people who have trouble sleeping. They get stressed out during their daytime job. They're depressed or, or sad or in pain from accidents or from the body that's not agreeing with them. But these are everyday people. And we all go through these periods of suffering for a broad variety of reasons. Because we all kind of grew up with this brainwashing that cannabis was a stepping stone to dealing cocaine and that was a stepping stone to robbing a bank and you were just going to die. All these stupid ideas that people who cared about their body enough to treat themselves. These are people who are normal, but they've been suffering. And, and I think our approach as a culture should really be the understanding this, but we've grown up thinking that they were bad people, that we should lock our doors when people who are dealing cannabis walk by. So there's this negative stigma that really just hurts people. And again, people that are just trying to help themselves, you know, like the people who engage in my clinic, we have a specialty clinic around cannabis and people who come to me are not people who are just walking up the street saying, boy, today, I don't feel like taking a Tylenol. How about this cannabis? I mean, well, there are a couple of those people, but mostly it's people who have been, look, I had surgery. I had 15 different medicines. I've had scans. I've had blood work and nothing is helping. Me. I'm still suffering every day and they're agonizing. I mean, they need something that's going to give them peace of mind for a little while. And then you think about that level of suffering and the sort of desperation that someone is dealing with. And then you think about judging them for trying to help themselves. It's just, it's heartbreaking. So there's really a passion behind what I'm doing that feels like I'm living a secret. Like I get to help these people who have been so downtrodden, so beaten down by their own illnesses and then also the culture. So I get to be a window of, oh my God, you know, this is fine. You're going to get a little bit better and you'll feel a little bit of joy. And you know what? You have control over that. It's not about what the doctor tells you you should have. It's not about, you know, what the surgeon does to you. It's about what you get to pick and choose for yourself. I think folks like yourself, Dr. Kaplan, you guys have an opportunity from a marketing and branding standpoint. That's where our expertise comes in. It's, it comes down to messaging. And a lot of times, if you work from the outcomes or goals and work backwards, if you say, we can help relieve pain, they don't know it's cannabis, but people are more accepting to that message working backwards, right? Versus like, oh, have you tried cannabis for pain? It's a very different approach if you ask those two questions side by side. So it's the acceptance of really what the outcome's looking for 
And if, if you or anyone else in the business approach it that way, and we're seeing success that way, based on our recommendations to our clients, hopefully more people are going to be more accepting. I'm sure time will tell, and I think it just takes more time. But the story you said there is amazing. I would love to hear more, if you don't mind elaborating, what other quote-unquote everyday people are you seeing become more growing users of cannabis? I think because people who are listening might say, oh, I never would consider that. Because even at the NECAN, the event in Boston, you're seeing all these different people coming in, the therapists, physical therapists, like just every day, but they're really open to this industry because it's making an impact. So like what other scenarios can you paint for us, please? Sure, sure. No, of course. A lot of people think that cannabis is only for folks who have seizures or, you know, because we see those YouTube videos of the horrible seizure people getting better, or it's only for severe illnesses. And to some extent, the laws, the regulation in the United States has been built around what people thought. Like we have states now in the country that only allow cannabis for really extreme circumstances. And that's pretty weird. I mean, we all suffer. We all have basic human difficulties. And if cannabis helps with those, why wouldn't that be allowed? Why wouldn't we encourage people to heal themselves in a way that's not harmful? One of the shocking benefits of cannabis actually is that it's not harmful the way that some pharmaceutical medicines are. We all kind of understand this idea that if you take a medicine, it might help with my depression, but boy, I might gain some weight or I might feel like a robot. But that's a side effects, a desired effect balance that we all consider. Cannabis seems to have really almost negligible side effects. I mean, of course, people sometimes get dizzy. They sometimes get lightheaded, but they feel better and it's quick and it's under your control. So to your question, people come to cannabis for some severe illnesses. There are people with myasthenia gravis, multiple sclerosis, severe spina bifida or, or muscle pains that make people unable to walk. There are also people who come with trouble sleeping at night. You know, this is a very common concern and it's really easily addressed with medical cannabis. People who are suffering with anxiety or social phobia, these days it's much more common. You know, as COVID has made people afraid of their own safety going outside, there's a lot more social anxiety. There's a lot more agoraphobia, it's called, when people are afraid of going out. Cannabis helps and it helps quickly and easily. And, and generally the side effects people are concerned about is, am I too high? Am I feeling too much joy? to be in public you know, or to drive a car. These are very manageable concerns. I mean, it's just a totally different world. Let, let me paint a different picture here. If we went around daily life and we said, we didn't know the word serotonin, we didn't know what our serotonin system did or was, we would have a shell of an understanding of basic neurology, basic understanding of what our brain neurochemistry does. We don't understand how joy happens, how appetite happens. We wouldn't understand how pleasure is, how to feel good, how to feel happy, how to feel not depressed. Now picture that actually as the reality behind the endocannabinoid system. We don't understand completely the endocannabinoid system. We understand that there are between 18 and 25 receptors in the body that are, that are meaningfully impacting the few signaling around cannabinoids. We understand one major receptor in the brain. We understand one major receptor through all of our tissues, but there are so many subtle elements of the endocannabinoid system that we do not understand. We don't know how they interact. We don't know how they work. We don't know what they mean in a big picture. We are literally building a puzzle of what it means to be an animal, a human, without a major piece of that puzzle. 
So it's an incredible opportunity. On the one hand, it's very exciting for, for someone who wants to learn. It's also a way to explain for a lot of people why they're depressed, why they're not eating healthy, why they're in pain, why they can't seem to find the right medicines that work for them. Well, you know what? If you're missing the puzzle, you're not going to see the full picture. And that hits home for so many people and, and people that come into the clinic and actually get better. It's not just one system that gets better. It's not just they're sleeping better. You know what? They're also less stressed. They're also in less pain. They're also happier in their relationships. There's so many things about cannabis that brings a new happiness, a new life to everyday people. Opportunities. Yes. So we talked a lot of, really around the topic of pain. What are other benefits, other features and opportunities that cannabis can provide that not pain related that you're starting to see people come in? Because like you say, there are other multiple facet benefits that you just end up getting because you're using it to solve one thing, but you're actually getting multiple benefits and other things. So the three overarching categories of opportunity for cannabis to help are sleeplessness, anxiety, depression, sort of emotional troubles. And then pain is not so simple. We have basically body pain, your pain in your body that hurts some region or multiple regions that hurt. You also have suffering because of that pain. You know, if you're someone who hasn't been able to lift groceries from the grocery store comfortably, and it's the 50th day in a row you've done that, it starts to take a toll on who you are as a person. You know, so pain is really both a physical thing, but also a sort of psychological thing around that. And people have their whole identity wrapped around their illnesses. Oh, I am someone who's afraid of going out in public. I am someone who's terribly depressed and I just can't get out of bed because I'm worried about life. So being able to break open some of those core elements, even if it's just artificial, even if it's just a separate compound for my body that's making me feel like I can approach the day without wanting to, to hurt myself, without wanting to tear my hair out, that's a tremendous opportunity for people. And I get this, there are hundreds of millions of people that are dealing with pain, sleeplessness, anxiety, depression. This is a cornerstone of what it means to be human. And yeah, it's just an honor. So in my yeah. clinic, the majority of people are coming from a spectrum of different illnesses. It's not just one little facet. It's not just serious illnesses. It's really from rare to common. I feel like, you know, mental health and anxiety and depression has really been amplified and a big spotlight on it over the last year or so because of the pandemic. Do you feel there's a connection there? And what's the insight that you have about that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the rates now of people that have been suffering with anxiety or depression or loneliness because of the pandemic, it's something like the difference between one out of five people to one out of three, four people. So it's a massive difference. 20% to 25% of the whole population is being pushed into this area of sickness. It, it is horrible. People, even, even if you are well off, people who are sick, even if you, you know, have been sick yourself and survived, you're still worried about the next strain that's coming along and is that going to do you in? It's a real, it's a state of panic and anxiety for, for anybody who's paying attention. And that's a terrible place to be. It's a very stressful place to be. It, it challenges people from focusing on their daily life. It, it prevents them from sleeping well at night. And of course, if you don't sleep well or you're stressed out during the day, that's not gonna help you have a better day tomorrow. So this kind of never ending cycle is really traumatic for people. And have you seen people really gravitate towards cannabis as a, a solution for them during these challenging times? Oh yeah. I mean, I think even in spite of you know unemployment 
and shops shutting down, restaurants and sort of businesses closing down because of COVID, cannabis has continued to soar. The stores are doing incredibly well. People are um, coming to obtain medical cards or to shop at the stores in droves. I mean, it's really never been higher and it's continuing to grow. And I think that's partly because people talk and they hear and they realize that their neighbor who they never thought would ever consume cannabis is doing cannabis and is feeling better. Now their neighbor's being friendly and happy. doesn't seem to be in pain. Or my sister, oh my God, she was never going to do anything like that. She was a straight A student and a straight edge kind of girl. Hey, she's doing edibles now because she's having trouble sleeping. Or that weird guy down the street who's always lifting hefty bags. You know, now he's lifting even more because he's using a cannabis lotion. I mean, there's so many people that we hear about and see day in and day out that are consuming cannabis now. I mean, it's really, it's come out from the shadows. I'm starting to hear doctors who want to refer their patients to me even before they try other medicines. It used to be the doctors didn't want anything to do with it. They didn't want to hear about it. And patients were afraid to talk to their doctors for being judged. Now it's totally out in, out in the open. The doctors are hearing from their patients that they're getting better. And the doctors are curious, just like I was when I first began. These doctors want more information. They want to learn what it is about cannabis that's working. It's, it's an incredible time, man, for all of us to be alive and to be participating in this. It's like the dawn of antibiotics was. I think that's much of a cultural revolution in, in medicine. That's what makes us exciting to have this podcast and have folks like you on this because it is an exciting time. And what you guys are doing at Seed Clinic, and I really want you to kind of unpack that a little bit more. Like, what are you guys doing there? And how are you guys different from other clinics who they may not provide the same type of services? Sure, sure. No, I, I appreciate the opportunity. I used to be the chief medical officer of an organization that really didn't care about people. And I didn't know that at the time, but I saw clinicians who wanted to help, but they were a little bit burned out of their old careers or a little bit, you know, sort of challenged to learn more. And they weren't providing a specialty service for patients. What I have built in Seed Clinic is a medical cannabis specialty. You know, just like you go to a dermatologist or a rheumatologist or a dentist, you know, their specialty is in dentistry or your bones or your skin. My specialty is in medical cannabis and understanding how it affects people, how people grow and change with it, what happens when cannabis is consumed with other medicines. That's my area of expertise. That's what I spend my days reading about, and teaching about, and learning about. So my clinic is really about patient care. It's not so much about a medical card. You know, medical cards have grown up in our culture to be a sort of excuse to treat people who were sick with cannabis because, you know, we in the regulatory world didn't really think it was okay yet. I mean, that's sort of old now. I think people understand that medical cannabis, you know, hopefully the understanding is growing, but people understand that medical cannabis is about helping people. But anyway, my position in Seed Clinic is to help people with understanding how cannabis impacts them individually. The vast majority of medical cannabis really across the globe is a medical card. It's, it's barely a conversation with someone. They just happen to have the credentials so that they can say by the legislative rule that they have the right, that the person in front of me has the right to consume medical cannabis for their medical well-being. That is as meaningless a part of my clinic as possible. I, I don't really care about the cards. I don't judge, you know, people who are consuming on the adult use or quote unquote recreational side as any different than the medical patients. I think we're all people and we're all striving for wellness and well-being. And any way that I can help people learn and understand cannabis and how it's going to affect them, that brings me joy. That brings me satisfaction. So my clinic provides one-on-one -on -one guidance for people. And actually not just in Massachusetts. I have patients across the world, uh, mostly in the United States, but I do see some people in, in Israel and Australia and South Africa and South America. 
anyway, my, my approach is one-on-one -on -one in the clinic, but I also want people to learn and, and not necessarily from me. As we were talking before, I built this archive, this library that I want people to learn from. I also put social media sort of information out there. I'm trying to educate people that way. I have a YouTube channel. I'm trying to teach people that way. I want people to have the opportunity to learn in whatever way they want to learn. Some people learn better one-on-one, -on -one, so people learn better on their own. My job is to understand the literature, help hopefully translate it to people in a way they can understand and really to help destigmatize our culture. I think this is an incredible opportunity for us to help each other, to come together, to sort of deal with the polarized antagonism that kind of dominates human culture these days. In, in the old 60s, 70s way of saying it, this is the way that people come together, man. This is the cannabis thing. And that's really what it is. It's about people coming together. 100%. It's all about the community. I think we've seen community really amplify itself with digital transformation. People are out there finding information. There's more groups on Facebook and other forums and Reddit. Businesses are creating their own communities using tools like Slack and other things. So love all the things that you're doing. And when someone is looking for that community, that deeper community, where do you guide them? Where are other people besides coming to you guys for one-on-one? -on -one, where other places do you tell people they should go to? Because there's a lot of them out there and how do you vet them, right? <laughs> right. No, it's a great question. And I love trying to ride the cutting edge of online communities. For example, on social media, these days Clubhouse exploded. And it's for people who don't know, it's a very intimate way to get to know people. Almost audio chat with you, you can drop in a room and Paris Hilton's going to be there or some other famous celebrity. But then, you know, there are also rooms where I'm there and I'm just talking about cannabis or other doctors are talking about their specialty. People are talking about vaccines and the debate and sort of all kinds of cutting edge conversations. So Clubhouse is way, and Twitter is working on a version of that and Facebook is working on a version of that. I think there are a lot of communities on Facebook where you can hear mostly your neighbors talking. It's not so much expertise on there, but there are some groups on Facebook that have expertise. Reddit is also a shouting place for the general public. I think you can hear a lot of mixed opinions. And I think that stuff is good to hear. I think it's good to hear the crazy people. It's good to hear the people laughing at the crazy people. I think it's good to, to read into those discussions and say, boy, I guess my extreme thoughts were a little bit extreme. And maybe there's some middle ground here where I can learn from people who are thinking on the other side of the fence. Twitter is always an interesting place because you're hearing from one person and who you're hearing it from. But still, there are people who, you know, kind of pass on other people's tweets. And it's important to understand where the source is for the information you're learning, as we were talking about before. I think expert expertise is also a source of underappreciated knowledge and opportunity. We in our culture have grown accustomed to Dr. Google helping us think that we can solve our own medical problems. And it seems so easy because look, the answer is right there. The diagnosis is here and up. I have all those symptoms. You know, I can just look it up or I can ask Siri or Alexa speaker. But the truth is the medical knowledge is coming not just from one piece of information. It's coming from a whole person and a whole system that is very nuanced and very complicated and has long-term and short-term impacts. So it's a very broad picture and there's a knowledge base that a physician or other provider brings to the table that I think people have forgotten to appreciate. And I think there's an opportunity with seeking out help from an expert. Hopefully the experts are there to help you. Not all experts are there to help you. I get that. But at least giving expertise a try um, looking on Twitter for the doctors, looking on Facebook, looking on all these different resources for the leaders. Clearly, they've gone through a lot of schooling, and that doesn't always mean that they're useful. But 
look at their followers, look at what they're seen by the culture, look at what the information is that they're putting out there. You know, look with a critical eye, but I think appreciate sort of what it has taken someone to get as far as they have uh, the credentials, as it were. And I think that's a special place to sort of lay your hat and really trust people who have proven themselves to be trustworthy. Thank you for sharing that. It's really, again, doing the due diligence. You might want to look at two or three experts, look at some forms, look at some medical journals, and then hopefully with enough education there, you can make a good educated decision. But connecting with folks like you and other medical experts is very important. Uh, yeah, but I'm also humble enough to be aware I don't have all the answers and my interest is really learning and, and it's helping and it comes from a, a place of passion and, and kindness and sympathy and, and, and interest in helping. And I think for some people, that's also a value that I bring and that it's not just about getting a right diagnosis or a right answer. It's about caring about someone, about feeling heard, about feeling understood. We have a system in our body for which feeling comfortable, feeling heard, feeling respected, feeling pleasure in a relationship, that stuff actually has healthy impact on our physiology, on our body. That system happens to be the endocannabinoid system. And that's a system I'm learning about and realizing that we don't quite get in the, in the Western medical world. We've always thought it was about the science of medicine or the art of medicine or the shamanism where someone is caring about you. But actually the glue that holds that piece together is the endocannabinoid system. That's very interesting. That's the first time I've heard that. Yeah, I mean, we've heard about the placebo effect. And right now in randomized controlled trials, you're looking at, as I was saying before, two pieces of things to study. And you hope to make that better than chance, better than if they were just imagining it would work for them. But that process of imagining that something is going to work for you is very similar to the, the process of, well, imagining creativity process of feeling heard, if you think about it, if you really sort of noodle with those concepts, you can tie them all together. And then when you think about someone who is high, they feel, oh man, I really get it. They have a really deep understanding with things. They feel connected. They feel all of the things that sort of jive with the placebo effect. You know, you really can picture where you are if you're under the effects of cannabis. And that has physiologic effects. There's a whole lecture I, I give about the neurology of cannabis and how it affects nerves and how this sort of placebo effect becoming reality is or sort of how it comes to be. But take my word, you'll see it. You'll see it coming up soon. I believe it. Well, we're going to have you back, Dr. Kaplan. We're going to totally do a deep dive on that. I think that's going to be some awesome content. And maybe we can go live with that, I think, and have people kind of ask you questions about that. It'd be great. So when you talk about lessons and learning, a lot of that really comes from failures. I always say failures are lessons. You know, it's not a failure. Two things. One, the industry is challenging. Two, starting a business and running a business is challenging. So like, tell us some of the failures that you've uncovered or lessons that you learned for folks that are listening. And then hopefully they can follow your footsteps and on the outcome of their learning, not maybe going through it. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. I embrace challenge. I'm picking a field which all of medicine hated and I'm doing it in a way that's still federally illegal. I'm not afraid of challenge. I'm not afraid of, of adversity. I think when I can survive adversity, when I can overcome something I did that was a challenge, that gives me extra pride. It makes me feel that much better about my position and on my path. One of the cheating things that I'm doing in cannabis is I'm reading the papers and I'm realizing actually that science is on my side. And when I'm fighting for cannabis with science on my back, it's like an endless battle because, you know, I'm fighting against stigma that's been born in through generations. 
but I know that I'm right. I know that I have science on my back. I know that as time goes on, other people will prove the things that I'm already reading and seeing, you know, firsthand. It's a really incredible opportunity, but no opportunity comes without struggle and failure. You know, some of the companies that I've helped begin had people that I really didn't like. They're people that I couldn't work with, people that I had to sort of figure out how to engage and how to talk to. You know, that kind of stuff comes with anything. And, and I think it's the people who can hold their frustration, hold their difficulty in their hand and kind of figure out a way around it, figure out how can I adapt the culture, not thinking that there's any literature in cannabis. And you know what? Hey, I can start a huge library and say, you know what? Point to the scoreboard. It's right there. All you have to do is look. And there are creative ways to pull through any problem, I think. You're a person that's always listening, reading, trying to level yourself up to grow as a person and professionally. You know, what's your routine look like? What are you consuming to find this information? As an entrepreneur myself, like I have certain podcasts I follow. I have certain books that I do and I have a certain regiment that I do daily to stay organized because there's just so much to do. Okay, you walk us through a day in the life of Dr. Kaplan. <laughs> oh, it's a little bit embarrassing because I work more than anybody should. So my days are packed with reading and patience and company meetings. So I have a data company called EO and people who are interested can find it at eo.care. It's basically a digital therapeutic that's going to guide people with cannabis and essentially give them a regimen of how, you know, what I would recommend, what the algorithm would recommend for cannabis, and then it takes their feedback. That's going to be a revolutionary cannabis companion app. So I have meetings with that company. I'm seeing patients. I allow patients to book every free moment I have during the daytime. And then in any free moment, I'm downloading papers as they come out. I'm, I'm constantly scanning PubMed, as I mentioned earlier, this national database of published papers. I'm purchasing those papers. I'm furiously writing notes on my iPad to make sure I understand them and I'm criticizing them. I look for what news is written about those papers and try to see what, what's missing there. In the free moments I have, I'm trying to put out blogs and tweets and Facebook posts, and somehow the hours tick by and I have internships. I have students, both medical students, graduate students. I've even had a fellow at Harvard who's trying to learn about cannabis. I'm, I'm trying to teach them how to do what I'm doing, which is really just reading with a critical eye and then sharing that translation with the public. You know, everybody can be on the same page, but we need people who understand Spanish to translate it. We need people who understand science to translate. That's just what I'm trying to do. And it's just a blessing, I guess, that I find joy in learning and, and sort of improving my own knowledge. And I just love sharing it. I love seeing the widening of eyes as people sort of see what's coming out there. And I know how to navigate the scientific literature. I know how to read. I know how to reread critically. And I know how to translate it. So I'm just doing what comes naturally. I think people's lives have gotten a lot more complicated with, with virtual working and, and a lot of distractions. How do you stay focused and productive? Like, you know, when things get kind of chaotic, what do you do to reset yourself or, or do you reset yourself? How do you make sure that you're executing output? That's a great question. I listen to my body. I'm very careful to make sure that I'm sleeping as much as my body tells me I need to sleep. If I'm feeling groggy, I might take a nap. Even if I have a meeting, you know, I'm sorry, I can't come to this meeting. I have to take care of number one first. So I think keeping your body on track, and that means not just sort of your state of mind, but also are you eating nutritious food? Are you hydrating regularly? You know, for those who are listening, you know, most people are vitamin D deficient. Most people are not well hydrated. Most people are not caring about the nutrition that they put in their body. Those are easy fixes. 
And you know what? When you eat healthy, when you exercise, when you drink plentifully, your body thanks you. You sleep better. You're in a better mood. You're clear headed. So there's some basic things that I learned in medical school that I not only share with my patients, but I actually treat myself. And it's important to, to know where you're missing and where you can improve. I and mean, I'm sort of open with helping treat myself as if, you know, I need a lot of improvement and I treat myself critically. It sounds so easy, but people don't choose to do it. My wife, she doesn't get a lot of sleep. We have four kids. It's a circus here. We're both very business professionals. And I'll say, look, I say, go to bed early today. But going to your, your point, you got to take care of yourself first. Because look, the last thing I need is you out of commission. Now I'm here by myself with all four kids. I go, I need you. So it is so important to take care of yourself. Because if you don't take care of yourself, then everything else is a ripple effect. You know, you're not there for your people, your, your family, uh, et cetera. I agree. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and come, I didn't know we had that in common. I actually have four kids of my own too. And it's, it's a circus indeed. That's the right word. But to your point, you have to take care of yourself. You have to feed what you need. You know, I think a lot of people need love and need sympathy and kindness in a way that they're not even aware of. You know, I think sometimes people are awkward with understanding what their own needs are and certainly voicing those. And I think that's a really important missing chunk. And especially after COVID, when we're all kind of disconnected from each other, we're not able to see faces. We're not able to sort of practice smiles and, and feeling accepted by our, our local culture. There are a lot of people who are suffering. And I think that's not going to end when, you know, hopefully COVID ends. I think that's going to be long lasting. Last question here. Time flew by today, Dr. Kaplan. So you're always doing a tremendous amount of work out there. So like, tell us, what are you working on right now? What are the headlines that we should be looking out for that you're going to be uh, out there doing? So, so I, I mentioned EO, the company. I think that's going to really move mountains. We're going to see medicalization, sort of understanding and personalization of cannabis on a grand scale through the whole world. It's a really simple opportunity. You know, when we go to doctors, they give you some medicine. They say, I'll see you in six months. I'll see you in a year. They have no idea what's happening to you when you're not there. And that's crazy, right? If we think about it, like, don't we want our doctors to know what's happening at home? Like they have no clue. And this is an opportunity where actually through cannabis, we're going to be able to collect feedback, understand what's happening, make adjustments over time. Oh, that medicine isn't working for you. Let's try another one. Let's try a different dose of that one. We can do that on the fly through modern technology. Um, so that company is, I think, going to go places in a big way. I'm also working on bringing my knowledge and the research that I've been doing, you know, both from the medical literature as well as from the patients that I studied. I have a population of close to 16,000 patients that I've been seeing for many, many years, and I'm learning from them in patterns over time. I'm taking that data, what I'm learning, and I'm actually putting it into formulations, into what creams might people be missing in their lives that cannabis actually can help with, or, you know, what other formulas of cannabis could be easily accepted by most people, maybe not get them high at all, maybe help them feel more focused during the daytime, maybe help them sleep better at night. There's so many areas that cannabis is helpful. I'm trying to put that into practice, you know, and develop a business around formulations. And there are a couple others that are still under the radar and I'm not allowed to talk about them publicly, but I'm trying to help as many companies as I can that need to understand cannabis. Unfortunately or fortunately, there's a lot of those. So you are a busy guy. And with four kids, you're an extremely busy guy. So it's, I'm sure you're compounding time, but make sure you definitely take some time for yourself there, Dr. Kaplan. So when you're not out there changing the world, what do you do for yourself? What's something that you love doing for yourself? It's funny you say that, you know, my wife and I took a vacation. It was the first vacation in seven years 
since our oldest was born. So yeah, no, I, I packed my life, but you know what? It's a love. It's a love that's very hard to, to really explain. I'm, I'm so in love with my work. I love what I'm doing. I love learning. I love teaching. I'm giddy with joy that I found this passion of mine. I'm also a, a, a hardcore backcountry kind of guy. I love being outside. I love being with nature. Um, I love hiking. I love camping. I love rock climbing. So I try to combine my passions, I guess, outside of work in a way that's healthy. So for example, rock climbing, I can do and get some exercise out of it, get some time with my kids. So I try to be efficient with the things that I love and, and still get quality time with my kids. Yeah. But honestly, I'm so still in love with the knowledge and understanding behind cannabis. Like it's become not all my work, but really my joy. You know, in my free time, I love posting on social media. I'm trying to educate. It's just fun for me. I feel sort of privileged. It's your identity. And we do a lot of teaching on personal branding. And a lot of times if you gravitate to something fortunate enough where you can do what you really love and be passionate about, it just happens organically. You know, there's no separation between work life. It's just life. So kudos to you. I think you're there. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, when people ask me about what should I do with my career or how can I get involved in cannabis? You know, my advice is just that look inside yourself, see what makes you tick. And if you're going to be working and do well at your work, you want to be passionate about the subject. You want to understand and be able to continue understanding and learning and challenging in a way that's fulfilling and, and joyful and not actually that hard. For the students that I teach, even if they're not interested in cannabis full time, the idea of learning about something and then translating that, you know, helping other people learn is so rewarding. You know, there's something about working with other people and helping them understand what you understand well, that's really gratifying. You're actually serving other people, but you're also making yourself feel good because you're helping them. It's a real wonderful place. I wish more people had that kind of sort of empathy or sympathy, sort of working with other people and understanding kind of where they're coming from. I, th I think the world would be in a different place. You know, the world seems to be often thinking about itself. You know, one person's thinking about themselves and that, how they can do better and it's almost at the expense of other people. But I think the opposite is actually more rewarding. We care about other people, work to help other people. We end up feeling better about ourselves along the way. What I heard you say, and, and this is something I say all the time with my family members, is serve. What can we figure out? How, how can we serve others, serve our community? And that's what you're doing. If you can find a way to serve, because like when people reflect back and they're much older, I think they're trying to find ways to give back and serve. Right. But you can do that now. You don't have to wait. I think you do that now. And then everything falls into place because you do feel better. And I remember I got this from one of my advisors. She was telling me when you're down that day and you're just like, you're hating the world, go find someone to help. It could be as simple as an easy task, you know, has nothing to be work related. If you find someone to help and serve, all of a sudden your mindset shifts. I couldn't agree more. I think the more that we can serve people on their interests and help others feel better, the more we all win. It's not a zero sum game. If I win, it doesn't mean other people have to lose. If people are winning, it doesn't mean I'm losing. I think we can all help each other in a really powerful way. And I think that's actually at the core of the cannabis movement. In order for cannabis to survive, people had to depend on helping each other. Whether it was sending seeds to a neighbor, whether it was helping someone understand how to grow or you know, how to use cannabis, how to enjoy it. People have had to help one another. And I think it's just a perfect fit for me. This is amazing. I wasn't expecting to go down that little bit of philosophy, but I, I think at the end of the day, we hit a lot of 
core things to help people grow professionally, personally. Love your time today, Dr. Kaplan. I am expecting you to come back to do a deeper dive in some other topics that you're doing. I know we have people that love to geek out on it. So, you know, any parting words for us? I am available. I'm here. I want to help people. I don't care where you're coming from. I don't care what your goals are. If it's, you know, purely to make money, if it's purely to understand cannabis, if it's to help a sick neighbor, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm, I'm available in sort of all kinds of platforms and ways. I'm here to help. What is the best way for people to get a hold of you or connect with you? So most of my channels are through my website, which is cedclinic.com. As far as socials go, I'm at Dr. Kaplan, so at D-R-C-A-P-L-A-N um, on Twitter. And that's my handle on Clubhouse. And I'm also on LinkedIn. I mean, almost every social channel I'm around and posting content that's free. Anybody that wants to reach out and certainly join a business and try to help the world, I'm, I'm happy to do that. But if people just have questions at a personal level, I'm, I'm open to that too. Just a little side note, if you're open to it, we've actually seen some success on TikTok, believe it or not. We have a lawyer uh, client and she's, you never expect, but you meet people where they're at, where they consume content. And I think even when Clubhouse came out, you know, there's all different marketers giving different feedback about it. My advice is you try it out and just see what happens. At least you can say, yeah, it worked, it didn't work. Plus in the Canada space, there's just so many people and so it's so diverse that they're not all in one platform, they're in multiple platforms. So I, I know that you're definitely a student of trying things out. So if you haven't tried out TikTok yet, I would say give it a whirl. <laughs> well, do I, I haven't, it's been on my menu. I, I just haven't done it yet. That next generation, that's where they're at, right? I think we grew up with Facebook and I think the next generation are growing up with TikTok. Um, I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, and now Instagram reels also. So I think there's, there's opportunity there. You know, people just want to see video, want to hear kind of a quick couple of facts and they don't want to hear a whole mantra. All the information will be in the show notes, guys. I know Dr. Kaplan dropped a lot of great links and information for you. So everything will be there for you. Again, thanks for our listeners following along today. And thank you again, Dr. Kaplan, for, for joining us. Thanks, Tom. It's a privilege and a pleasure. Um, thanks for having me. Thanks for spending your time with us. This podcast is for you. And if you have any topics you'd like to learn more about or suggestions, please email us at podcast at indicativemarketing.com. And don't be a stranger. Connect with me on LinkedIn.